Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 14th, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, That Others May Live, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. Enjoy. Today we're going to be in Philippians 1, uh, verses 27 through 30. Uh, it is uh, just four verses, and uh, of course we'll have just four points today as you follow along. There is, however, there's a word in here that's used uh, that we probably quickly rush by, and that word is the word life. And uh, this particular word that is being used here is, is not that simple. Uh, in fact, the word, the Greek word that is used there is uh, doesn't have an English equivalent that really uh, encompasses the fullness of that word. And so today we'll, we'll focus on that word and we'll, we'll try to make sense as to what Paul is really trying to communicate to us here. Um, I'm going to do my best to create um, in illustration or story uh, a word picture for you that will help us to understand uh, what this word means. Back in 1998, uh, a movie was released called Saving Private Ryan. I think a lot of you have probably either seen this movie or heard of this movie. Um, But in this movie, there was uh, four young men in World War II, and three three of these uh, boys had already uh, committed the ultimate sacrifice. And the military did not want their mother to lose all four of her boys uh, in the war. And so they set out on an expedition to save Private Ryan. He was the last of the remaining of the four boys. And in doing so, they took on a lot of um, combat. And in that combat, uh, they lost a lot of their men. A lot of men were killed. A lot of... Uh, uh, Americans were sacrificed in this story. And when they finally caught up to him, they found themselves in the steep of battle uh, themselves. And at the very end of it, um, a character, uh, Captain Miller, who was played by Tom Hanks, and in this, Tom Hanks was laying there, um, had been wounded and was dying. And he has a brief conversation with Private Ryan, and he says to Private Ryan, earn this. He's not saying that he has to go and work this out. He's telling him that he has to live a life forward of worthiness. Be worthy of the sacrifice that has gone into saving you. We're going to see that today in this scripture. We're going to be called to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. To earn this. Not earn your salvation, but in fact to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that was given to save you. I think of a good friend of mine, his nephew. His nephew was this, uh, I met him one time, uh, he seemed like a really sweet kid. And uh, in, he graduated high school in 2001. And in August of 2001, he enlisted in the military. In fact, he enlisted in the United States Air Force. It was his um, dream to work as a special forces uh, U.S. Air Forceman for the para-rescuers. This group that comes into the heat of battle 
and uh, a lot of times for special forces such as you know the SEAL teams. And when they come into these uh, heavily on fire places, their job is to rescue uh, the people that are down. And this young man, his name is Daniel, and Daniel uh, set out in August 2001. I think we all know what happened in September of 2001, Um, when in fact war became a more realistic thing. When Daniel signed up, war didn't seem like it was anywhere near. But Daniel went on to tell his mother over and over again, Mom, this is my purpose. This is my call in life. He even told his mom on several occasions, Mom, I won't come back. I will be here because this is my calling. You go back to thinking about that moment in the movie about Private Ryan where the old Private Ryan is sitting at Arlington National Cemetery and he's staring at the grave marker of Captain Miller who told him to earn this. And he turns with tears in his eyes to his wife and he says, tell me I'm a good husband. Tell me I'm a good father. Tell me I'm a good man. You see, he's at the end of his life. And at the end of his life, he wants to make sure that his life was worthy of the sacrifice that went in so that he may live. This young man, Daniel Zerbe, he knew he wasn't coming home. In fact, he had taken the motto of the U.S. Air Force pararescuers and he tattooed it uh, largely on his chest above his heart. And the motto of this pararescue team was simple, that others may live. He saw his entire life, his entire identity, his entire everything was so that others may live. Daniel knew that he would pay the ultimate sacrifice. And on August 6, 2011, Daniel paid that sacrifice. He was part of the 38 special forces that were shot down in a Chinook helicopter in Afghanistan by the Taliban. The special forces calls it one of the darkest days in special force history. Because 35 special forces and three additional crew of the Chinook helicopter lost their lives that day. Daniel knew from the very beginning that this was his calling. In fact, as they would tell the story on the voice recorder of what's going on in that helicopter, it was Daniel's voice that was the last one heard that yelled, Incoming. Daniel sacrificed his life so that others may live. The question in our faith, do we have that same calling? Not in the sense of politics or war or any of those things, but from the sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to sacrifice it all? Paul is going to say here in Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them, clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Powerful words that Paul lays out here. Point one as we go through this is to have a life worthy of the gospel of Christ or to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy. These two words, life and worthy here. The first word, life, the closest we would probably get to it is the word citizen. That I'm so identified as a citizen that you would never see me as anything else. Past life of consulting and doing lobby work for the lower 48 tribal uh, Native Americans. I remember meeting a, a man uh, from the Katua tribe, and he was referring to something as a Wakan. And this word Wakan in their language is this word. It means to encapsulate everything. That my whole identity would be so identified as a life and a life specifically that is worthy or equally weighted to that which it identifies. In this place, he says, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let the sacrifice and the gospel and the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ be equal to your life. So that when people see you, they can't possibly see anything other than Christ and the gospel of him. To live your life. Paul will even say later in Philippians 3.20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word worthy, axios, of course, just means to be appropriately weighed. That it has to have a like value. The citizenship that God is calling us is the gospel of Christ. That our entire being, at the core of our being, is the gospel of Christ. I ask the question, why? Why does it have to be this way? Paul says, so that regardless if I come or I'm absent, that I may hear of you. Whether Christ comes today or comes a thousand years from now, how does he see you? Are you found faithful to the gospel of Christ? I ask the question, doing what? If I'm faithful to Christ, what should I be doing? He says, stand firm in one spirit. In one spirit. Right? There's only one spirit, and there's actually only one fruit. 
And the fruit of the Spirit has nine characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These nine characteristics of one fruit. And with that one fruit, we are to be with one mind. And that mind is to love the Lord your God, your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. That word heart that's used there is the word cardia. It means the absolute identity of your being. It's the core of who you are. And that your identity would be a life, right, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And how do we go about this? With one mind. Being one body. Striving side by side. In other words, walk in step with the Spirit. There's a battle within each of us. Paul himself says in Romans 7, I do the very thing that I do not want to do. But we're to do this for the faith of the gospel. Why? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the worthiness of our life. That our entire identity would be Christ. You see, faith is not that which just rescues us from sin. Or saves us from hell. The gospel is not news that applies only to salvation. The faith of the gospel works its way into the very crevices of our everyday life. Our work life, our home life, our church life. It impacts every second that we live. I've said this to you before that life is nothing but a series of sequential moments. Each moment has the same singular purpose in mind. Will you be faithful to exalt, to glorify, to live Christ in that moment? The life we live now is by faith in Christ, as Galatians 2.20 said. And anything, Paul says in Romans 14.23, that does not flow from the heart of faith is sin. Think about that for a moment. Everything that I do that's not rooted in faith is sin. That's a lot of stuff. Faith is a heart that is satisfied in all that God is for us through Jesus Christ. You see, this is the rocket fuel for standing firm in one spirit and in one mind and living that displays the worth and the value of the gospel so that the gospel can advance. You see, the gospel must continue to grow. It must bear fruit and grow. It must advance. So what Paul is telling us to do does not happen without day-by-day faith in the gospel. We can't do this without hearts that are genuinely transformed by the gospel. Hearts that place a supreme value on the work of Christ on the cross. 
and hearts that delight in the reality that our citizenship is in heaven, not of this world. Hearts that are like that can stand firm and strive side by side with one another. Paul is using words here that have a military meaning to them. This is a spiritual war that we are waging together. We are standing our ground and are going to fight together to cling to God's promises that are in the Bible. What we want is to say with all of our heart that to live is Christ and to die is just simply more Christ. Whether times are good as a church or times are bad, together we say that our greatest hope and the deepest longing is to be with Jesus and to fulfill our citizenship in the homeland we were made for. Eternity with Him. As we looked last week, Bob was talking about Paul um, wrestling with this, whether I stay or whether I go. Both were great options. Until that day happens, we are standing here. Resolved. Striving together. You see, that is what the gospel bought for us. That is a life that is lived by faith. But it presents to us our point too. No fear. There's no fear. If you find yourself frightened of death, then you lack clarity in what is to come. Paul says in verse 27, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. You see, we're saved by God from God. Don't ever think that you're saved because of Satan or hell. There's more to fear in the wrath of God than there will ever be in anything else. Paul says this in Romans 1, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This is the one that Jesus himself didn't want to go face to face with as God poured out his wrath upon Jesus as he bore our sins on the cross. We used to play this game as a, as a kid. It was just simply called two for flinching. Some of you chuckle because you have bruised shoulders as a result of it. This adolescent game and, uh, amongst boys, and to be honest with you, some men, um, is real simple. If I can make you flinch, then I get to punch you in the arm twice. Please don't do this to me after the service. But two for flinching was a game of fear. Because flinching was fear, and it gave your opponent permission to hit you twice. There had to be no fear. There had to be no flinching. And the reason this was is to reveal to your opponent that you cannot be intimidated to, intimidated to do their bidding. 
Paul is saying to us here that to be not be frightened in anything by our opponents, and he says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. No fear is a clear sign of their destruction. Nothing is more intimidating in life than a fearless person with God on their side. What we see in verse 28, that a gospel-worthy life, a life that says to live is Christ and to die is gain, is not frightened by opposition. It's not alarmed or terrified by what or which that opposes. Who are our opponents in this world? Well, in this situation, Paul's specific opponents were those people who were persecuting him for trying to advance the gospel in Philippi. Paul had been whipped, beaten, and thrown into prison. The church at Philippi was facing these types of opponents as well. I would say that the opponents of the world is in fact the world's system. While we fight for the lost souls in this world. The system does not want you to save these souls. But God has called you to go and make disciples of all nations. While Satan and people oppose the gospel, sin is also an opponent that keeps us from doing what we ought to do. Teaching that opposes sound doctrine is an opponent of the gospel. In this world today, we face real serious opposition And we have a reason to be fearful. Yet at the same time, there is a greater reason for us not to fear at all. Not only is God stronger than Satan, stronger than people, stronger than sin, but he's given you the church to battle your fear. We battle fear by striving together, side by side. Fear dissipates as we pray together, confess sin together, worship together, hear the word preached together, and serve one another. I've had a great joy on my four years of staff here at Highlands. And to see fear dissipate as our hearts and we see the gospel advancing in people's lives I know that at times I find myself in doubt like anybody else. Doubt of my calling. Doubt of God. Just doubts. Will he ever come? You see, I have fear at times. I go through seasons of revisited fear on this subject. Thankfully, I have brothers that walk with me side by side here at the church, whether it's Bob or Mark Yule or Ed Lutz, whomever it may be, one of you. And I have these moments where God encourages me to go forward without fear. I know it upset my daughters greatly when I had COVID and I was struggling to get a full breath and I was doing a Zoom call to counsel someone. My daughters were upset and they looked at me and they said, Dad... What are you doing? I said, the gospel must advance. Period. It doesn't stop for your sickness. 
I've seen others share their faith because they have been encouraged by the examples of others at Highlands in their sharing of their faith. And the gospel has advanced. When the fear of death has loomed over some families, they have feared, faced fear with the support and the help of the local body. The gospel has advanced. During this season of COVID, I watched brothers and sisters humble themselves to ask the church for financial help to pay their bills. The gospel was advanced. This gospel comes with difficulties. It's point three. Salvation brings belief and suffering. Paul says this word granted in verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Man, I wish he said something different there. But you might suffer. It could be possible that you might suffer. It's not what he said. He says, but also. It reminds me of a story about Ernest Shackleton, who was the first to cross the Antarctic. And the old story that goes with his advertisement that he posted to find men who would go with him and traverse across the Antarctic in 1914. His ad simply said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. You know, thousands of men showed up to be a part of this. He took a crew of 28 men. They went to the Antarctic. They became shipwrecked almost immediately. It's not like they had some sort of a satellite phone to contact anyone. Shackleton and another took to basically the equivalent of a rowboat, a lifeboat, and found themselves working themselves to St. George Island, which was some 700, 750 miles away. This process took somewhere between 18 months and two years to come back to save the men who were left on that rock in the ice, in the complete darkness. All 28 men survived. No one was lost. But they willfully signed up for low wages, bitter cold, long hours, complete darkness, safe return, doubtful. Paul says to us that we should not fear. And and he gives the reason in verse 29. It's the word grant or granted. It has been granted to the Philippians and to us as Christians to suffer. When you receive the gospel as your treasure, there's a great inheritance that you're given. Salvation is given. The promises of God are now accessible to you 24-7. Fellowship with God is made wide open. And you are promised eternal life with him. Those were all granted to you. And I think all of us say, wow, hallelujah, that's awesome. But you were also granted the opportunity to suffer. In a world where we pursue comfort and peace, God granted to you the opportunity to suffer. 
You see, we suffer through sickness. We suffer through death. We suffer through battling sin. We suffer by striving for unity in the church body. We suffer sharing our faith. We suffer in lots of ways, and all of them have been granted to us by God. It's God who's in control of all of it. And therefore, it can't ultimately hurt us because God is for us. Now, nothing can separate you from the love of this God. We suffer by choosing lives that put Christ on display as our greatest joy so that the gospel advances. As we strive to live worthy of the gospel, sometimes as a church, we suffer together as we see someone walking away from our church family. Sometimes we suffer together as we see one of us sinned against. And often we suffer together as we deal with conflict. And when someone in the church offends us or we're just struggling to have Christ-honoring thoughts towards someone who we don't really actually like. These things have been granted to us by God so that the gospel might advance. I hope we get that. That this life of suffering is for the advancement of the gospel. God grants us suffering as a gift to produce good things and gospel advancement. Whether we are suffering through horrible tragedy or minor disagreements with one another, I need us and want us and desire us to see this as a gift. It's a gift from God. To see suffering as a way to advance the gospel for the sake of Jesus' name. When you and I believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we confess him with our heart, you are also walking into a life of suffering. No one gave you that small print when they told you the gospel, did they? Maybe we should be more like Shackleton's advertisement and tell people the truth. Don't run from it by making comfort and ease and your own interests the ultimate reason for how you live your life. Choose the hard things. Choose to wade into messy conversations in our relationships. Relationships with one another at the church that have to do with sin. Be the peacemaker in a time of suffering. You see, this is what has been granted to us for the sake of Christ. And in point four, what Paul says, he says, be engaged in the same conflict. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's important to understand that this conflict is not the world's conflict. This isn't a protest or a peace march. This is a rally of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will find no greater conflict than when you begin to share and live the gospel in your everyday life. The same conflict that Paul is talking about here is in Acts 16. I'll leave that to you, Acts 16, 16 through 24. But in short, what happened was is Paul was coming to Philippi and there was a slave girl. And this slave girl was possessed by a demon. And the owners of this slave girl were using her as someone to make money off of. She was a fortune teller. And she followed Paul 
and Silas around from place to place and kept saying and announcing that these men are from the God Most High and they're here to show you the path to salvation. And that sounds like a great thing, but if it comes across as like the song we used to sing to drive my mom crazy right from the back seat of the car, I know a song that gets on everybody's nerves, everybody's nerves, and this is how it goes. I know a song that gets on everybody's nerves, everybody's nerves, and you sing, you sing that song for an hour, mom is going to hit the brakes, pull over, and, and ask for the demon to be removed from you. <laughs> Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But the owners lost their revenue. So they drugged Paul and Silas and they beat them. And they incarcerated them. That's the kind of persecution that comes with the gospel advancing. You see, we are engaged in conflict. And the Christian life is one of conflict. Paul had it, the Philippians had it. It's been there throughout history of the church in major and minor ways. We are in constant battle, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving to, to the believe the promises of God and striving to be obedient to Jesus' commands. This is one reason why corporate worship is so vital for your soul. Week after week, you're feeding your soul in this room to fight for faith in the gospel. You're fighting for faith in all the promises of scripture. When you sing these songs together, when we pray together, when we hear the word preached, we're fueling up the lives of the gospel in a worthy way to advance the gospel. This is also why discipleship and small groups are essential for your Christian life. When you get together with your small group, you're not doing a book club. You're getting together to pray for one another, strengthen one another, help one another grow in love and obedience to God. You're getting together to help one another do battle and to suffer well. You're getting together to go out on the attack for the advancement of the gospel. We ought to see corporate worship, small groups, and discipleship as a giant support system while living out our salvation and suffering for the sake of Christ. Don't let the tyranny of a busy life crowd out attending church or being involved in discipleship or participating in a small group or serving or giving Let fellowship crowd out the business of life for the sake of your soul. This is where we learn from one another, help one another, suffer for the sake of Christ with one another. We should come into the worship service on Sunday mornings asking God simply to satisfy my soul. To satisfy my soul in Him. You see, these are the ways the gospel is advancing the minds and the hearts to live out the gospel in worthy lives. As I ask the band to come back up, I want us to see that these verses, in these verses, that true saving faith does not stop with just belief in Jesus. True saving faith clings to Jesus as the greatest treasure, so much so that fears are diminished 
showing our opponents the gospel will triumph and they will lose in the end. It's what gives us the ability to say to them, look to Jesus and live. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Maybe like Daniel, you've tattooed above your heart that others may live. That your life would be identified so much with Christ and you would sacrifice it everything so that one other person could live a life for Jesus Christ. Thomas will go into this more detail, but in Philippians 2, 1 through 3, he says this. After saying all that, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Our lives are uncommon joy to live a life of sacrifice. We sacrifice our desires so that others may live. And like Private Ryan's character, earn this. Earn this the sacrifice that Christ made so that you may live to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ spend and be spent take the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it the core of your being don't let anyone ever see you as anything different than a soldier for the advancement of the gospel Take every moment and hold it captive to him. This is what Paul's calling for us. Our Father and our God, Lord, bless us as we go. Today and tomorrow are new days. Days that are set before us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength not to fear. Not to fear by our opponents, but to stand firm in a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you all next week.